The Bonfires of Social Enterprise with Detroit-based Rami Gingrass of Gingrass Global. The interview you're about to listen to with Chris Scalinger of Buckets of Rain is really interesting to me. Now, I want to share with you right up front that Buckets of Rain is a nonprofit and it's purely a social play. It doesn't have an enterprise element to it where something is being bought and sold yet. So it's a pure pass through. I wanted to do this interview anyway, because when you step back and you look at all the collaborative partnerships around Buckets of Rain, it becomes kind of a social enterprise effort. And I thought that was interesting. And I wanted to do this interview so that it may inspire some others and highlight some of this amazing work going on. What I really want to draw your attention to is some of these partnerships that you'll hear about in this interview. Chris and Buckets of Rain, their main partner is Detroit Rescue Mission Ministries, which is a faith-based organization that provides both sort of emergency homeless shelters and transitional housing. And then big for-profit corporation, General Motors. General Motors provides capital, resources, and their employees end up coming out and helping to serve, as you'll hear about. So it's really interesting. You've got a faith-based ministry with a nonprofit organization and then a big for-profit corporation that's not only using capital but also serving. And then you got this cool addition. You're adding on some people from the community that are also coming as volunteers and helping to garden. And everyone is coming together under the mission of growing nutritious food for the community for free and walking it into the homeless shelters. It's really beautiful. (laughs) Lastly, I want to draw your attention to Chris himself. He was almost tough to interview in one sense because he was scanning that garden and you can just tell his number one laser focus goal is to get people fed grow food and feed people let's give the listeners a little bit about buckets of rain well, Buckets of Rain in its its current form uh, is a group that uh, is working in Detroit. We work with the Detroit Rescue Mission, and uh, historically our goal has always been to grow food where people don't think it's possible and uh, increase the free food security of those who are underserved. Will you tell us a little bit more some of that terminology, increase the food security? Uh, does that mean give them access to it, Chris? Uh, yeah, here in Detroit, we, we kind of work on two different uh, levels. We have two quite large, should we say, production urban gardens where the food goes to the homeless shelters of the Detroit, Miss, uh, Detroit Rescue Mission. And then we also support and install uh, community gardens that are self-serve 24-7. Uh, for the communities, to, for the benefit of the communities that we that we work in, this is where the food security comes into play, because as we sit here in Highland Park, we're we're a good three quarters of of a mile from the closest fresh uh, vegetable. <laughs> and so you you make sure you guard guard the gardens, right? <laughs> Uh, no, we don't care. I notice every, you know, the, the neighborhood is so respectful of, of the production aspect of this. They know where the food is going. They actually, they really have our back, you know, and they know that they won't get left out because on Wednesdays we give away to the community and, and no one ever goes away hungry. It's powerful. Will you take us back on a journey of how this came to be? I was here last summer with you and it's about twice as big as it was even last summer. How did you start to do this? I love this story and I love listening to it. For uh, a few years, we had worked in Africa and Central America. 
And uh, part of our off-season uh, things that we do is we would we would talk to to various church groups and so on and so forth. And at the end of one speech, a little old lady totters up to us and says, "Have you ever worked in Detroit?" And uh, and I was like, "Well, no, ma'am, not yet." Uh, she says, "You need to meet so and so, a local religious leader." And says, "Okay." Uh, when we made the the drive down Woodward from our from our home up in Traverse City to to make make our appointment, and we turned on to Glendale, it was like nothing we had ever seen in the third world. The destruction was apocalyptic uh, in terms of the abandoned houses and the debris and the overgrown lots, and we it was kind of a no brainer from that point forward that this is where we we're supposed to to be working. So since 2013, we've been in Detroit and Highland Park uh, clearing blight and putting in food production facilities. Chris, how did you sort of get buy-on from the community initially? We know they love you now, but how did how did you make that happen as kind of an outsider coming in and deciding to take a parking lot over? Actually, the Detroit Rescue Mission was kind enough to give me a room in the neighborhood <laughs> the first year, and that room was at the homeless shelter across the street. Uh, so I think that was important, you know, not only to save buckets or rain some money initially, well, but also that I could spend as much time as possible, the daylight hours, that is, in the community, so people would know that uh, we were uh, not just passing through, that we were making an honest investment in the, the uh, improvement of their environment and, uh, and eventually in the quality of their lives, we hope. Yeah, and now a lot of those community members are helping here in the gardens, right? Yeah, we have. Uh, you just it's it really has evolved like we had hoped, and I don't even know that it's fair to hope for something like that. But we have like three criteria. Uh, buckets of rain does. First of all, when we put in a garden, we have to be removing blight. Okay, no problem there. These two parking lots, you couldn't even tell were parking lots before we started stripping them of their garbage and their rogue trees. So we have to remove blight. Uh, we have to have a partner like the Detroit Rescue Mission where all of the produce can go immediately into the right hands. And then third is that we have to work in uh, neighborhoods that at least stand a chance of benefiting some sort of social uh, improvement by the fact that we're, uh, you know, creating sight lines and places for people to, to garden and to gather. And on any given day, this time of year, you just don't know who's going to be here. It's mostly, you know, people pass through, they bring their, their children either for strawberries or to, so the kids can see where food comes from. We have an area of the garden which we call the tenant farmers, which means people come in and they, and they start ooing and eyeing over the raised bed system. But, you know, transporting this concept from buckets of rain, which, you know, which does it with, with all kinds of corporate and worldly help, into somebody else's backyard is a heck of a lot harder than it seems like. I mean, we can put a raised bed there, but it, still got, it has to get dirt in it. And the availability of water and soil in the inner city it's, it's a huge uh, obstacle for homeowners to overcome. So one of the ways we can get around that, at least initially, is to give them some raised beds in the back corner of one of our production gardens. And those become the little community meeting greeting centers where the little grannies and the veterans and, and the retirees will, will be gardening you know, on Saturday morning and just shooting the breeze and pulling weeds and have, having a time that perhaps they, they would not have been able to experience before this. That's really amazing. As I look around this garden, I know from last year, some of the materials and some of these raised 
containers have come from some corporate partners and I see so many more now. Who's been helping you with some of this? Uh, we meet the right people at the right time or none of this would, would, would happen. When we started, you know, back in, uh, which was slowly back in 2013, we had a crew of people up in the Traverse City area, which is where I live still, and we would tear apart used pallets and then restructure, reconfigure them, repurpose them into raised, modular raised beds. So we built the first few out of, out of uh, well, so first few, first couple hundred uh, out of pallet wood. Um, so we could build a three foot by six foot raised bed for a dollar, dollars worth of screws. And as we improve upon our technique, we, we're probably going to get five to six years out of each of these boxes. So, you know, that's 15 cents a year. That's not bad. Right. Uh, but of course, we couldn't do that forever um, because our goals were too, too big. We got on board with General Motors and they started uh, providing for us parts bins that come from overseas that only have minimal scrap value and can't be sent back. And they are absolutely perfect for what we're doing. They're four feet by five feet and 15 inches deep. I mean, if we had designed one of these, it would look exactly like what's sitting in the parking lot right now. <laughs> but before we, we really tapped into the, these, these uh, bins come from the Orion plant, about what, 35 miles north of here. They either donate semis to bring them down or we go up and get them ourselves. But we were working with a group in Flint that on my first time to go to meet them, I got lost and I ended up somewhere on Coldwater Road. And I got out to, to look at the map because I didn't have GPS and I parked right next to an old General Motors warehouse or manufacturing facility that had been torn down. And in that acreage, fenced-in acreage, they were storing the parts bins from the other torn-down plants around the country. That's where they shipped them to. So I've got my nose pressed up against this fence going, as a gold mine, we need those. And there's about 100,000 of them sitting out there. And because I got lost. And I ended up right there at that time. Or this, none of this would have ever occurred to us. <laughs> wow favor that's yeah. what i call favor <laughs> all right so what's what's growing here in the garden really about the only thing we don't grow is uh corn and melons and potatoes uh, corn and potatoes you know that's a nutrient that is, is pretty affordable and pretty uh, what's the word ubiquitous um, it's everywhere so we focus on like from left to right we have you know, onions <laughs> collards tomatoes strawberries, which are just fun. They're for the families that wander in. Of course, uh, let's see, green beans, squash, uh, kale, mustard greens, some peppers here and there, a couple of trillion carrots. There might be some other things hiding in here, but that's the, you know, the stock and trade. We have to have things that are easy to harvest for our volunteers. There can't be a lot of thinking involved, and it has to be things that our chefs in the homeless shelter kitchens have time and ability to prepare. I mean, we'd love to, you know, we'd love to have an herb garden that would be on the cover of Martha Stewart, uh, but herbs, you know, that's that's five years away. Right now we need to put the most nutritious, acceptable food on the plates of our clients as we possibly can. Who are the volunteers typically that come and serve here? Mm, typically, I'm going to say they end up in the garden via the Detroit Rescue Mission Ministries uh, volunteer program. Mm -hmm. That's a big part of it. General Motors has a uh, program called Supplying Communities Together, which last fall 
after you were here last summer, donated 75 people for two days. And that's when we went from 30,000 square feet to about almost 60,000 square feet. Uh, we had eight semi-loads of these, uh, of the bins come in. They, we were hauling uh, semi-loads of uh, compost uh, in and out of here like crazy. And uh, I mean, it, it just shows you what can be done when people put their mind to it and there's some organization behind it. We could have dilly-dallied along here, for, you know, for the rest of our lives, but we had this work be... Uh, via the General Motors program and that was it was truly astounding uh, what was accomplished in two days. We get people from the community kind of hit and miss. Uh, the man that was that you just missed, his name is Warren Brantley. He's been here pretty much since the beginning and he walks about a, a half a mile when the weather's nice to get here. Um, I'm 58 and I'm quite likely to be the youngest person in the garden. Uh, when the community's involved. <laughs> Just saying. <laughs> it's got to be keeping you young, being out here with all this amazing green vegetation, hands in the dirt. There's something about that, isn't there? Well, I certainly hope dirt is the fountain of youth because then I'm going to be around for a while. <laughs> uh, what does, uh, how'd the name come about? This is a name that you were working under, right? And you've adapted it for Detroit. Is that is that right, Chris? Or? Um, pretty close, pretty close. For the first five years, probably, in Africa and Central America, we were 11 oaks. And that doesn't mean really anything, except that we had 11 oaks growing on the side of our driveway that we planted. But we kept it vague, kind of on purpose, because we hadn't really honed in on what, uh, what our technology was going to be eventually. We, we knew it was going to move around. I mean, we knew because we talked to other people who do this kind of stuff and who, who go to third world countries and try to uh, uh, aid in their, uh, in their development or depending on what their needs are. But we know that quite often what you end up doing and what you go there for could be two different things. So what we pioneered uh, in Africa was a drip irrigation system fed that was strictly gravity fed because there's no electricity in any of the places we ever worked and a five gallon bucket that's a we're standing on the the shoulders of a giant named Richard Chapin who was the initial developer of this concept and then and then we put our own kind of modern spin on it and so the buckets of rain basically meant that if there's enough water to support human life there's enough left over to grow vegetables year-round in places where it doesn't in the drought season. So, so we, we can't, we'll never get away from that concept, even though we're not using buckets uh, and we get plenty of rain here in Detroit. But that's where our, our kind of our sole motivation is uh, to re-harvest water and purpose it towards uh, improving the nutrition of people who normally would eat nothing but, but basically porridge or whatever the World Food Organization is dropping off in a bag. It doesn't have to be that way, but we're in Detroit now. so. Yeah. And I know we talked about would, would there ever be an irrigation system here? We, you're right, we do get a, enough rain in the summer where you might not need to do it. I know you were toying last year with it. Oh, I might, I'm not sure. Where are you with that? Still thinking? No, we're not thinking. Um, we're jumping up and down with joy in, our, in a way, actually, because we're finally tapped into the, uh, this uh, Highland Park City system. It took us 14 months and cost us uh, about $9,000 to run a pipe 20 feet. 
but I'm not judging. <laughs> I'm just happy that it's here because with now that we are tapped into that, we can water about 900 linear feet of, of road. I mean, we, we have 23 lots that we've taken over and the length of the garden overall is about 900 feet. But you know, if you look around, you, there's no roof, there's no rooftops for us to catch water from. So this whole idea of gravity fed and recycling, eh, that's not happening right here right now. Um, but with pressurized water, we're able to water all all that we have, and, and it, this is probably 15,000 plants or so right now in about an hour, huh. and, and all pretty much automatically. So it's city water, you know. God's water is one heck of a lot better. Um, we're getting some today, but in a, in a pinch, we keep stuff alive. Right. I, you're so resourceful. <laughs> Chris, what's one of the other things that you was kind of an aha about doing this here in Detroit in a parking lot, opposed to all the other places you've done this? Did you have anything that surprised you that you thought, huh, that's interesting? Yeah. Yeah. At one point, we thought in the Detroit Rescue Mission, when I say we, because they're our main partners and... Uh, they're kind of, they handle the sociology and we'll handle the agronomy, you know, it works well that way. Uh -huh. uh, but we thought that it would be nice to, to take these gardens and space them out throughout the city to give the, to give the present, the idea that there's a presence here and there and here, you know, everywhere. So the aha moment was, you know what, the farther we get from the mothership here, the less efficient we get. And, the, and it just, it just does it's. If we're going to do the million meal thing, which is the goal, then we have to start from here. And we'll let this technology, this, this application for inner city gardening, creep out of ground zero on its own. We're, we're not going to force that. First couple year, year and a half maybe, you know, we tried to impress our will maybe on a, on a lot here and a lot there or this gardening group. But it's best to, uh, to just sit tight and build it as big and as, as, as well as we can and, and let people come to us. Uh, the Detroit Rescue Mission has, I think, maybe 12 kitchens. At the size we're at now, we're able to supply maybe three of them because, you know, each of them does two, three hundred meals a day. Oh, um, wow. the, the need is so... I, I can't... It's it's hard to uh, to get your head around just how fast the vegetables go. I mean, we're looking at, what, uh, between this garden and that, an acre and a half, an acre and a quarter. That might be stretching it a bit. But we could go through here and strip this place clean uh, today. And the food will be gone in a week. Ah, so the need just continues to be endless. Yeah. Yeah. But you're but you're definitely making making a difference. Wow. Definitely. We, 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 two years, hundred thousand servings. If we can double that every year or every couple of years, uh, then you know. Uh, of course, the the concept is to put is to grow ourselves out of business, right? We want the idea that people can grow their own food in the city and we want the homeless problem to go away and we want hunger to go away on its own, but we'll uh we'll try and, you know, light the way. <laughs> but uh the purpose of all people like us uh, is is to go out of business as quickly as possible. Right. So I know you're a nonprofit. That brings me very nicely into that next section. You're a nonprofit, and like all of all of the what I call purely social organizations, it's always dependent on donations and the kindness and support of others. Last time when I was here, we were just starting to toy with, gosh, is there an enterprise area of this? Would perhaps the restaurants purchase some of it and create cash flow? I know we were brainstorming about that yeah. at your picnic table here. Mm -hmm. Has anything developed since then, or I know that in in some there's some thinking that that's that says that uh, it, 
you know, if we have a product, then that increases our, our quote-unquote sustainability, or whatever that is in the gardening world. Doesn't really that word doesn't really apply. Still, it's the word's not going away, so we might as well use it. But our dedication is is first and foremost to the people who don't have any money to buy this, and uh, and also to be quite honest with you, uh, the market in in this kind of stuff is is so heavily trended towards organic growing techniques um, that we wouldn't qualify for any of the you know any of those markets anyway because when push comes to shove the bugs lose and we win <laughs> it's all about feeding people first it right is, yeah. <laughs> you know, if you get my you know you get my drift I, I didn't want to come right out and say it but we're not going to have people go hungry because we've got bugs and bugs are helpful there are good ones yeah yeah actually i love to show the little kids that come through at the right time of year the bad caterpillars and the good caterpillars i take them over to the cabbage and such and i go look at these little green guys these are the these are little devils and then i take them over to the the carrot patch and i show them the beautiful uh, black green and yellow caterpillars which are the swallowtail butterfly so good and bad i mean we'll we'll give that swallowtail uh you know a handful of carrots because we know that when he when he comes out of his uh his cocoon he's going to go and, and fertilize or pollinate all of our tomatoes i think that's a pretty good deal <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> there's some other volunteers right yeah. that you want to keep <laughs> keep on on dock here yes. all right well what would you say chris if you could dream big for us your truth of the moment today what would this look like if you let yourself i think it would be pretty sexy if we had a, a garden that stretched from woodward to hamilton we're about half that well maybe a third that far right now um, but we'd like to see a little more cooperation from certain city institutions in terms of getting us water and giving us some sort of secure uh, control of the land you know so that when we when we commit some effort and some money to it that we can be sure that we can use it for at least three to five years um, and this idea that's going to cost us nine thousand bucks every time we want to put a hydrant in is uh, is not right but I, I, I love the corridor that we're working in. Uh, there are 17 abandoned houses in just one block that borders our garden. And um, there have been probably 10 houses torn down in the last year on our street. That, you know, that, that surges forward and then that dies off. And we still have a few houses that need to come down. But I am seeing more families on the street. I'm hearing more cheerful banter, whatever that means. We'd like to think we have some role in improving this little community. Oh, I'm sure you do. There's some, there's something about bringing life to an area, growing something and, and having a hand in that. I mean, you never know who you might inspire. You might be inspiring some, some young man or young woman who has never thought about doing something like this before and, or, uh, they get a chance to see a success at their own hands and mm -hmm. that they've actually grown something that does something to a person in the way of encouragement. It sure does. There's not a lot of young people in this neighborhood, but they come through in all forms. And, you know, we have people, you just can't be judged. We just don't know who's going to pull up. When we give, have, give the food away to the community and it's in the bags and stuff, and some people come up in wheelchairs and some people come up in BMWs. But we don't know what their story is for sure. So you just have to let let people take what they need. And everything else will work itself out. A true pass-through. I, what I like to say is this is a true pass-through of resources, which I, I believe this is the whole idea of the nonprofit helped help pass through resources to solve a social mission until it's not there anymore. Yeah. 
is sort of, uh, yeah, and try to help facilitate it to no longer be there. Mm-hmm. You know, sometimes it's just, I want to go here for a second because because we, our firm works with social enterprises so much. I love that you're identifying the fact that you're, you don't have to be a social enterprise. Everybody assumes that I take that stand that, oh, if you're doing something social, it has to have a business part too, just to add some cash flow. And so everybody's always asking me, how can I put it in? And I think about half of the time or more, I say, why ruin a good thing? You are doing exactly what these are designed for. And your organization really falls there is why I wanted to come and and talk to you because it just really is best as a pass through. And we want to honor that, and this works so great that way. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, maybe someday when we can start making the gardens smaller, you know, when we don't need that 600,000 to a million servings a year, then we can take, maybe that's what this is all supposed to lead to, you know, uh, that we'll take this this thing that we've already built and turn it over into something that, that perhaps creates an income flow. Because, you know, if if we were making money, the best part would be, then we'd be able to create jobs. As it is now, any job we create has to come from a donated cash source. There's many ways of, of, create, of being a job creator. Growing vegetables for homeless shelters is not one of them yet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. But the rate you're growing and the way you're expanding, it could be. We're going to have to have employees eventually because um, I'm almost tapped out. I'm the I'm the manager for the, this section, for, you know, for for what we've grown so far. But in order to uh, expand and expand we must. We need a mini me. <laughs> and I know whether it be a college student or another or a retiree or or whatever, you know, this this is a it's huge and it's going to be bigger every year. We can use all the dedicated individuals that uh, want to come by. Yeah, so how do they reach you if uh, they either want to support you in the form of donations or volunteer? If you want to volunteer, you can contact the Detroit Rescue Mission. They're, they're professionals. They've been doing this for 106 years. They know how to get the volunteers to the places they got to go. If you want to contact Buckets of Rain directly, our website is bucketsofrain.org. Or contact us, you know, on Facebook. That's, that's about as technical as we, we've gotten so far. Chris, thank you for letting me stop by right smack in the middle of your workday. The Bonfires of Social Enterprise podcast can be downloaded from iTunes, listened to on TuneIn, and select episodes are now available via PRX.org or the Public Radio Exchange, which is an award-winning public media company. For more information and to directly download episodes on your desktop, please visit bonfiresofsocialenterprise.com and find us on Twitter at Bonfires Podcast and Facebook, Bonfires of Social Enterprise. If you have time, please fill out the survey that we have on the website. It'll help us do what all social enterprises need to do, which is gather data from our listeners so that we can be better servants. I'm Rami, and I want to personally thank you for listening and sharing. Music by Dan Castle and Thomas Rojo. Portions of this podcast have been provided by Rami Jingress and are copywritten 2015 Jingress Global LLC and are disseminated by Flatlands Avenue Productions by exclusive arrangement with Jingress Global LLC.